0: Genesis chapter number 1. Once again, I'd like to read a good portion of this chapter and uh, just kind of get our perspective here on these scriptures. Genesis 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. God called the firmament heaven in the evening and the morning with the second day." God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, the gathering together of the waters, called the seas, and God saw that it was good. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb-yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth grass and herb-yielding seed after his kind, and the Tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good in the evening and the morning with the third day. God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day, over the night, to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good the evening and the morning were the fourth day. God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the water and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. In the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle, creeping thing, beasts of the earth after his kind. It was so. God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the third sermon in this series that we have begun called In the Beginning. In the first sermon, a couple weeks ago, I dealt with the big issue of who is this God that has revealed himself. And I say the word revealed because what you and I know about God and ultimately how the world began can only come via revelation. What you know about creation is because of what you read here in the Word of God. It comes through Revelation. And we saw also in that first sermon that the triune, the eternal God, indeed is the one who created all that we see. The second sermon covered the big subjects of creation versus evolution. And we went over four areas that really give proof for creation. The sad thing that I shared in that sermon is that society has turned this particular debate into a science versus faith debate, but really, it's better put as creation versus evolution. Today, we're going to briefly speak about this very first week, these verses that we read, and in order to do this effectively, I'm going to answer a few questions that might help us understand the chapter a little bit better. First question I want to give to you. Was there a problem with the earth after God created it? Well, before I answer this question, let me first state what has been a problem in some Christian circles in a lot of different eras, different times. From time to time, you and I as Christians, and I don't say you particularly, but Christians in general, have allowed the world to dictate what we believe. In other words, we've allowed the world to state the terms. We've allowed the world to define the parameters. We've allowed the world to be in control of the debate but in my mind, there is no bigger problem when this has become evident than in the area of evolution and the area of natural selection that was made popular by Darwin in 1859. And because this teaching began to take root in our society and has taken root, sadly, over certain periods of time, some Christians tried to mesh these thoughts together that is because evolution became so entrenched in our society they looked at a couple of verses in the chapter of Genesis and they thought well let's see how we can bring the creation view and the evolution view and put it in the same bowl and let it mix together but I'm going to tell you again You cannot take society's rules and definitions and try to make them fit into the Bible. It's like trying to take a square peg and put it in a round hole. It's just not going to fit. So my friend, you either have to dismiss, you've got to dismiss the things that are being taught out there that are false and not try to square them with the Bible. You're better to take the Bible as your lens and determine Everything out there based on what the book says. So you say tonight, well, preacher, come on, what's the big deal? All of us here tonight, we believe the Bible. We know what the Bible says. Well, again, keep in mind that there are still some who try to take the societal norms, the societal philosophies, and try to insert them into the Bible. And it happens right here within the first two verses of the book of Genesis. It's interesting how it comes in. Notice what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Wonderful, simple, straightforward. And then somehow we try to put something into verse 2 that I don't think is there because where it says the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The words in verse 2 have caused many in our society, and I say many, Even those of Christian circles who have tried to spin the meaning in order to placate the evolutionist. You see, notice the words in verse 2 that say, without form and void. Some have interpreted these words to mean this. That the world, the heaven and the earth that God created was actually ruined and desolate. In other words, this indicates that somehow God came through and created the heavens and the earth, and then eons of time went by, and somehow the worlds that God created became ruined and desolate, and it was problematic. But if you look at the words here without form and void, here's what they mean. They simply mean formless. It's empty. God made the heavens and the earth, but the earth was not yet inhabited. And the big deal to me and why I'm stressing this tonight is because if you start implying that there's a problem, then you can go ahead and begin to throw in all the evolutionary process and plug it into these verses you say, how has that happened? What has taken place in our world that has tried to mess up what these two verses are talking about? Well, let me give you a couple theories that have been put out in Christian circles and in various other places. There's something known as theistic evolution. Now, do you understand the word theistic? It has the idea of God. Theism refers to God. Evolution now doesn't have anything to do with God, but this Theistic evolution is the theory that creation did happen, but it involved the process of evolution. In other words, God created a few things, but he also allowed evolution to take place. And I submit to you tonight that only one view can be right. Either it was God that created the world, or it was evolution, but it cannot be both. Now you say, preacher why can't the two be mixed well think about this for just a moment when you look at the process of evolution and you think about darwin and and that uh, book that he wrote and this whole idea of the the uh, natural selection think with me for just a moment that evolution and that whole theory involves the process of death and when did death begin to take place chapter number three we don't find death in chapter 1. We don't find death in chapter 2. But Scripture makes things clear about God's creation. When you look through chapter 1, I believe it is seven times you see this wor- these words that God saw what he made was good. And God then, on the seventh day, God rested. You know why he rested? He set an example for us. But creation was over. What is it about evolution that is being taught? Things are continually progressing. Things are continually moving. And I want to tell you, when Genesis 1 is over, creation's over. God is done. He's created everything that needs to be created. Now everything continues through the process that God had established of things producing after their own kind. But because evolution involves death and death is something of its nature as evil, it cannot be of God. So this whole notion of theistic evolution, I believe, is wrong. Another thing that is thrown in in verse 1 and 2, a theory is something that is called the gap theory. Now, this is a specific theory that states that there is a gap of time between verses 1 and 2. In other words, look at verses 1 and 2. What do you get out of those verses? Well, when I read verses 1 and 2, I see a very simple approach that God created the heaven and the earth on that first day and that what God created was now further going to be prepared for habitation. You say, how do you arrive at that? Well, I want you to think about something. When you put the whole chapter 1 together, you see something that is cohesive here. I want you to notice, and I'm just going to walk you through for just a moment. Notice verse number 2. Can you give me in the King James Bible the first word? Just say it out loud. Verse 3, first word. Verse 4. Verse 5. Verse 6. Verse 7. Now, you go through almost every one of these verses and do you realize that about every verse begins with the word and? You know what that word and here, the Hebrew word wa, it indicates that there is a succession of events in the creation of the world. It doesn't say in verse 1 that God created the heaven and the earth and all of a sudden God came back kind of some period of time later and went, Wow, that messed up. No, no. God created the heaven and the earth. And here's the next succession here. The earth was without form of void. But God brought the Spirit of God to hover over the earth. And then... He said in verse 3, let there be light, and the succession of events continue all the way through. But I want you to notice something else here, and that is verse number 7. Notice the word made, and God made. Now, if you read through Genesis 1 and 2, there are three different Hebrew words for the word, the idea that we have of creation. The first word we went over last week, it is the word the Hebrew word bara, which has this idea of God making something out of nothing. When God made the heaven and the earth, God didn't call in a few little pieces that he had lying around the universe and then put them together. No, God made the heaven and God made the earth out of nothing. Creation can only happen in that form by God himself. That can't happen by you and I. But now verse number seven is the word made. Made. It, it means the word, the word made here is another word for creation, which means to form something. It means to put something together. And a few times through Genesis chapter 1, guess what God does? The things that he called out of nothing and brought in, now he begins to form it. And so, do I believe that there's a gap between verses 1 and 2? Do I believe that somehow this earth that God made got a little messed up? No, I believe that God made the heaven and the earth, and it was not inhabited, but guess what? God started bringing things together and started creating and making the world as we know it in chapter number 1. So, was there a problem after God created the heaven and the earth? Not a chance. My friend, God is a God of order. And does not breed confusion. Number two question. How long did it take God to create the heaven and the earth? How long? Well, I hear some of you already saying it. Good. I'm glad. Well, again, I don't want to bore you with this, but there's a particular theory stated by many called the day age theory. This particular theory states that each day when you look at the first day, second day, third day, and so on, each day represents an age or a period of time whereby God accomplished what he did. And this is, again, another theory put forth to try to give weight to those who believe in evolution. But I'm going to say tonight very clearly that I believe that God created the earth in six literal 24 hour days let me say that again God created the earth in six literal 24 hours a day you say preacher how do you know that well first of all God told us what he meant by a day I don't I'm not going to ask you to turn there but actually let's do this hold your place here go to the book of Exodus let me let me have you see this for just a moment Exodus chapter number 20 Exodus chapter 20 is the chapter that gives us the Ten Commandments. And I want you to notice verse number 11. Exodus 20 verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Now... God's giving these Ten Commandments. And when he gives the fourth commandment about remembering the Sabbath, one particular day here, he starts to share about how in six days that he made heaven and earth. Now, I I want you to note something here. If you were to compare this with Exodus 31, verse number 18, do you realize God wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger? So, I'm telling you something. What you're reading here, this isn't just, and, and, I, and I believe what we have is the Bible is God's inspired word. But I'm going to tell you something. When I'm reading Exodus chapter 20, this is written by the finger of God. And God is letting you know, in six days I created this. Look at verse number nine six days. What, what's the example here? Six days I shalt labor, do all thy work. Look at verse number 10. The seventh is a Sabbath. It's a day of rest. So what what is God doing here in Exodus chapter 20? God established man's six-day work week on the pattern of his creation week. So do I believe these are six literal 24-hour days? Yes, because of Exodus chapter 20. Why else do I believe that these are six 24 literal, uh, literal days here? Well, The word for day means a literal 24-hour day as we understand it. The Hebrew word that is used here is used 11 times in the chapter. Now, I understand you go through the Old Testament and probably about 400 times this Hebrew word is used, and there are some cases in the Old Testament where it does speak of a particular period of time. For instance, when you look at the prophetical books, the day of the Lord, what's that day referred to? It's not referred to just one literal day, but in the context of that passage. Please understand, when you read the scriptures, you've got to read context. And in those particular contexts, that day refers to a period of time, extended beyond a 24-hour period as we know it. But nowhere in Genesis 1 do you see anything that gives us an indication that it is more than a 24-hour day. And here's the third thing that I see. And in fact, here's why I know that this day is referred to as a 24-hour period, because it is qualified, everyone is saying, this is the first day, this is the second day, this is the third day. But likened to this, it's interesting. Notice here how each day he says here, And the evening and the morning were what? The first day, evening and the morning, were the second day, evening and the morning, were the third day. So again, how long did God take to create the universe? I believe he did it in six literal 24-hour days. Third question I want to give to you. How in the world could there be light if the sun was not created until day four? How in the world could there be light if the sun was not created until day number four? Well, according to the Genesis record, in the beginning, darkness covered the whole earth, and it was filled with water. You see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. But on the first day and on the fourth day, God did some things that look a little similar. Let me read again verses 3 through 5, the first day. God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, saw the light that was good. God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Now notice here what he did on the fourth day beginning of verse 14. He said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them, those, those lights be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament to give light upon the earth. He made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and the night, to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. If you notice carefully in this passage of scripture, you're going to see why this was done and the difference between the first and the fourth day. What did God make or do on the first day? Well, we can say he made light. And that's often what we'll say, but you know what God actually made? He made day and night. God used light to create the day and the night differentiation. Till then, the whole earth was only night. It was dark, if you will, and God divided that light from the darkness. The light part he called day the dark party called night. Now, how did God make the day and night? Again, darkness over the face of the earth. So making darkness wasn't necessary, but God had to only separate the darkness by causing light to shine on one side. And again, he called that light day. And God brought the light to shine on one side of the earth while the other side remained dark. It's interesting and important, I think, to note that the evening and the morning commenced that first day and it was and so with this 24-hour period here begins a new day and fall and and light follows with it and how beautiful God did this but notice here what was that light that God used to make day well God doesn't specify you know sometimes as people study this they're kind of looking through and say well what was that light well The important thing here and the focus is not on what was created. It was on the fact that God separated the day and the night. And on this particular day, guess what? The clock started turning here and the day period began. But I want you to notice here on the fourth day, what did God do? The fourth day, God didn't create here this light, to separate day, here, and night. But God creates some particular things like the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so what you find on the fourth day is not something that is a repeat of the first day. Those days are totally separate. The first day, God used light to create day and night. On the fourth day, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars to give light to the earth. Again, what was the purpose of the sun and the moon? Was it to create day and night? No. Now that's how you and I know it. We say, oh, the moon's out. It's, it's, it's nighttime. Or the sun's out. It's daytime. But I want you to say that, see that God didn't create those for that per se. The sun and the moon were meant to rule the day and the night that had already existed, that God had already made. But these particular objects that are put in the firmament are made here for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. And what a beautiful thing that God did here. Fourth question I want to give to you. What were the physical conditions on the earth? What were the physical conditions on the earth? Now notice verses 6 and 7. Kind of interesting verses given here. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, let it divide the waters from the waters. God made the firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. So it's interesting in these first two days here, God's creative acts are of dividing. First day, he divides day and night. Second day, he divides waters. And he divides them here with this firmament. In fact, it's interesting in the New Testament, the apostle Peter gives us an idea of what Moses wrote. He says in 2 Peter 3 verse 5, for this, they are willingly ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. I think the out of the water is those, that water that was above the firmament and in the water That is of what God had made here. Now, before we discuss this water above and below the firmament, let's talk about what this firmament is all about. The word firmament literally means expanse or extended surface. Now, we know in verse number 8, God called the firmament heaven. That's what he called it. Now, when you and I think of heaven, we think as we go through Scripture of a couple different things. First of all, there's the heaven where the stars and the galaxies are. Verses 14 to th- 17 talk about that. Job chapter 38, Job uh, is, is enlightened here about some of the, some of the stars that are named and the galaxies that are referred to in verses 31 to 33. So there is a, a, a heaven where the stars and the galaxies are, but there also in the Bible is so a heaven where God dwells. Psalm 115, verses 2 and 3, where, now is, where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 21, when Solomon is praying here and having the temple dedicated, he's praying and he's seeking out the God and his dwelling place, and he re- references the dwelling place of God is in heaven. But the heaven that is here, this firmament... It's not the place where God dwells. It's not where the stars are, but it has to refer to the atmosphere that is around the earth. Now, whatever the waters were, think about this. The earth in water here, the waters that are the seas, you've got the the sky, that firmament that is around the earth, and then you've got waters that are above And again, I wish I had time to go through this, but in 2 Peter, chapter number 3, Peter makes reference of the fact that the world as we know it, as it was created then, was destroyed. Those waters were gone. That water uh, barrier, if you will, wasn't so much a a, a mist that you might see like a, like a, a cloud here. As we understand today in our world, we understand it rains, and then there's evaporation and rain and evaporation. That's our, our whole cycle today. But in Genesis chapter 2, as we'll look later in verses 6 and 7, it talks about how the, the earth was misted. And these waters must have provided something of protection for the people in these early days. How many of you have had a relative that has made it to 700 years old? I mean, when you read through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, I mean, we're reading about 600 and 700 and 800 and Methuselah at 969 years old. I mean, those are pretty amazing years, but there was something different about the world back then. Today, we don't have that. Today, we're affected more by the... Uh, the, the, the rougher climates were affected more by the radiation from the sun and various things that these people were not at that particular time. And we'll talk more about that when we get into some of the ages and discuss that. But in conclusion tonight, I'm not going to go through the rest of the chapter, but could I just make a couple of simple remarks? Isn't it interesting on the third day the Bible says, notice here, In verse number 10, or 9 and 10, that the dry land appeared. Literally, on this day, God allowed the dry land to appear from the earth. You mark down Proverbs chapter 8, verses 27 to 29. Job chapter 38, verse number 4, God talks about how he marked the divisions for those things. God set the parameters, set the lines for where the oceans would be and where land would be. But notice here, on the fourth day, how God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, I'm here to tell you tonight that the Bible's not just simply a book on astronomy. It's not a book on various other science-related matters. But when the Bible does speak on subjects like astronomy... It does so with pinpoint accuracy. For instance, would you notice something with me? Verse number 16. God made two great lights. Notice what he calls the sun. What does he say here? The greater light. Now, I would probably say that before the telescope was ever invented to where men could see out there and the various galaxies that were out in our world, would you not think that people would look at the sun and, and say to themselves, wow, that is the greatest light. But notice, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes that it's the greater light. Because here today, now that we understand that there is a particular star named Antares, it is so large that it could swallow 64 million suns the size of our sun. There's a star out in one of the galaxies called Epsilon that it is so big that its diameter is 3,000 times that of our sun. So do you think Moses was a dummy when he wrote the greater light? No, he knew what he was talking about because these are God's words, not just man's words. On the fifth day and following, we see God creating life and I cannot wait to get here, but I want to come to this concluding point and give you these few things and we'll be done. Observations to note. What are some things that I can grab from this chapter? Number one, please know God's order. I I would encourage you this week, every day, read through Genesis chapter one, and look how every day God established something to let us see that God truly is a God of order. God didn't just say, hmm, wonder what I ought to do today. Oh, I know. I ought to do this one. I ought to do this. And then on the sixth day, he's like, well, I I guess this is the only thing left. I'll create this. No, God had a particular order how he set up. Think about it. He created the heaven and the earth in darkness and then created the light to divide the darkness. And guess what this commenced for us? Time. God then created the firmament. Why? So he could house the sun, the moon, and the stars. But those couldn't be put into place until time had already been created. Because what are those for? For seasons, for times, for all of that. God then created the dry land, and He decorated it with the vegetation, the plants, and the trees. But notice, time had to already have started in order that the seasons would bring forth the uh, the, the ability for those trees to blossom and to flower. Then God proceeded to go ahead and, after that, make the creatures. They filled the waters, the skies all of these different creatures of diverse colors and various sizes. But why didn't God create them before the vegetation? Well, the birds needed trees to rest on, did they not? They needed food to eat. And therefore, they were created after vegetation. And I'm telling you, as you study these things, you see that God is a God of order. Number two, I want you to notice God's brevity in the creation record. Look at verse 16. Look at the last five words says he made the stars also now I don't know if you're aware in our world but we have so many people that are interested in astronomy we have stargazers we have people that are getting into astrology all over and people are looking about everything about the stars but do you realize God just simply said in five words and he made the stars also that's it you know why because when you look at the cre- when you look at the whole biblical record, God is not just interested in what He created. that's a nothing to him. God is interested in you. God didn't just go ahead and put the planets out there so we could worship the planets and, and be in awe in all that, though we may be. but God is not interested in the planets per se. He's interested in people. God's not interested in all the stars God's interested in the salvation that he's going to offer to you you say how do you know that well five words he said he made the stars also but 50 chapters is dedicated to the commencement the building and the structure of the tabernacle which had everything to do with the salvation of man and I want to tell you something here God has a brevity, and when we look at it, we notice where His emphasis is and where His emphasis is not. Number three, God's immense power. I love this. God, all He had to do was speak it. God said, and it came to an existence. Psalm 33, verse 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Psalm 33 verse 9, for he spake and it was done. Psalm 148 verse 5, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Amen. Wow. You study through scripture the word of God and how powerful it was. In fact, even Jesus, when he was standing on the boat when the disciples were afraid from the storm, all Jesus had to say was, be still. And guess what? The clouds and the thunder said, yes, sir. They obeyed him. How powerful. The word of the Lord. Notice the next observation. God's approval of his creation. Seven times through this chapter, you see, God made this and he said it was very good. You know, God did with saying these words. God judged these things to be effective for serving his purposes. God doesn't waste things. We're wasteful creatures sometimes. Some of you could use to clean out your garage and various other things. You've got a lot of waste sitting in there. And there's things you put together and there's things you say, well, I'll use this someday, but it's sat there for 20 years. But I'm telling you, Everything that God has put together, he said, that was good. That was good. That was good. Everything was going to be used effectively, and he was pleased with it. Oh, how powerful. Last thing I want you to see, God's completion of his work of creation. When you look at the last part of the chapter and go into chapter 2 even, it tells us of how God ended his creation. There's no more creation going on. Do you know what that means? No evolutions taking place. God rested on the seventh day. He was done with all that he had made, all that he created. And how powerful, how God ends that. What a wonderful week. I encourage you to study these things out. And tonight, I'm burdened about a couple of things. And that is that you and I would be people who truly have faith in God's Word and not in all the garbage that's out in the world. Amen. Do you trust God's Word? Yes. I hope so. I'm telling you, if God said it, I believe it. I believe it. Okay. But I'm burdened. For some of the kids that we have as a part of our church that are being inundated during the course of every week with the things of evolution. After last Sunday's sermon, I received a text message from one of our parents in our church, and he was so thrilled with the series. And he said, I want you to know, he said, my son is attending a school here in town is being made fun of by his teacher because this young man believes in creation. Think about that. It's one thing for somebody to go ahead and stand up and say, okay, now this this is what I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach this philosophy. But now to, to mock, let's pray for our kids that they would stand strong. I'm thinking about Brother Mark and others that are working with the college kids who are being inundated in colleges. I'm looking at Brother uh, uh, Austin sitting back here, going to school and getting college classes and possibly hearing some of these things. I'm thinking of some of these high school kids, junior high, that are, again, being inundated with this stuff. Would you pray tonight for these kids?